So we're in this series called Kingdom Come that we kicked off the new year where we're going through the gospel of Luke. And we're just looking at the life of Jesus, the, the things that he taught, the things that he did. We're going to see his miracles and, and ultimately his death and resurrection. And we're just getting reacquainted with him. Luke, being one of the four gospel writers, he's the only gospel writer that wasn't Jewish. He was actually Greek, and he was a doctor. He was Dr. Luke. And he also wrote Acts, um, the, early, the story of the early church and what happened early on um, after Jesus ascended to the Father. So last week, we looked at the temptation of Jesus in the, his 40 days of temptation in, in the wilderness Jesus had just been baptized, was on this mountaintop experience that he had had in his baptism. The father shouted from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And and immediately he's led out into the wilderness by the spirit to be tempted by the evil one. And what was happening in Jesus's life is, is Jesus is our creator. He created all things. And he stepped into his creation, this fallen, broken world became one of us, so that he could undo the, the broken uh, work that Adam did and Adam and Eve in their sin. He, was, he came to undo that. He came to show us what God was really like. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you're, if you're watching online or in here and you're wondering, well, what is God like? God is like Jesus. Whatever Jesus is like is what God is like. He's revealed what the Father is like. And so I want to I'm going to read, it's, it's not on your notes just yet because I kind of had this idea after the notes were, were completed this week, but in Luke 4, in verse 14 and 15, it says this, after the, the temptation, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district, and he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. So I want to give you a a little visual context of this returning from the wilderness to Galilee. Galilee is is the Sea of Galilee, which is funny that they call it the Sea of Galilee because it's actually a lake. It's a big freshwater lake. But the region around the Sea of Galilee was where Jesus did the majority of his ministry. You see him working, and he'd go into the synagogues. Have I told you we went to Israel recently? That is, so one of the first couple days we were there, we got on this big boat, and uh, we were out in the middle of the lake there. Hold on, go back, go back. So if you look across, um, you see that little city there, right? And they're all over the Sea of, of Galilee. The water's real calm. And then, yes, the next one is me and Joel Dennis reenacting the Titanic. <laughs> Joel, I'm flying. That was a few pounds ago for both of us, but anyway, um, next one, please. There's the shore of the Sea of Galilee. I love that picture because I think of where Jesus called Peter and James and John. Who knows? It might have been right there when, when that happened. We don't know for sure. You can go to the next one. So this, this in about 12 years ago, they discovered uh, the, the Catholic Church was building a retreat center. And they unearthed the ancient city of Magdala, which Mary Magdalene was from. And so that verse that I read to you says Jesus was teaching in their synagogue. So that's the synagogue in the the town of Magdala. 
And it's a fact. Jesus would have been in that synagogue. All right, that's mind-blowing. Next one is in Capernaum. And that's the synagogue in, in Capernaum where Peter was from, where Peter's mother-in-law was. And you can move from this spot to a, a spot where they think it was Peter's mother-in-law's house or whatever. And then this happened. <laughs> Jesus showed up on our trip. I don't know if you see that or not. I had to take a picture of this dude. That's Janelle and Chandler there waiting to go to, towards the, that next site. And I thought, Jesus is here, man. Modern-day Jesus. That's funny. He's got the sandals and everything, the little leather coin patch and all of that. Um, let me continue reading. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is from, if you're reading in your own Bible, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Listen to this. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying, I am, this is written 600 years ago. It was written about me. I am the fulfillment of this. It's amazing. And then Jesus, knowing their hearts, knowing their thoughts, he begins to say, and I know what you're thinking. A prophet, I'm paraphrasing, a prophet's not welcome in his own hometown. And he talks about Old Testament prophets that had to go to other cities and places where they were rejected in their own hometown. And this got the people in the synagogue really, really mad. It says they were enraged at what he was saying. He was claiming to be the Messiah. He was claiming to be the deliverer. How dare you? You're, you? We know you, Jesus. You grew up with us. We, we saw you grow up. Who do you think you are? It says they grabbed him and they took him to the brow of the hill. The highest in Nazareth, there's a huge hill. They took him to the brow of the hill. They were going to kill him. How dare you? They were going to throw him off the cliff. That's what they thought of Jesus. And it says that Jesus, passing through their midst, he went away. This wasn't the time that he was going to, or how he was going to die, and he left. And then he continues his ministry. Let me show you another picture. This is the brow of the hill. This is our Novation folks, minus the Opecas, at the brow of the hill, and that's where they would, were, took, took Jesus, and we're going to try to throw him over. It's crazy. You can just look over this big, huge cliff and, and see it. After that happened, Jesus Jesus began his ministry. He went back to Capernaum. He did miracles. He taught, and he, he, he set people free. And so what I wanted to talk about today is Jesus being the model ministry. To look at him, and I, I want to try to answer two questions. Who did he come to serve, and then what should we look like as a church? 
Why do we exist as a church? If you look up the word minister, I looked it up, and the definition is to give service, care, aid, and attend wants and needs. Sometimes you hear the word minister and you say, he's a minister, or call the minister. Uh Uh-uh. We're all ministers. Every single one of us is, is a minister because we've all been called to serve one another, to care for one another, to be there for one another. And our, our church, we're, we emphasize community because that's where care comes is within community. We emphasize home groups and core groups. And if you're not in a, in a home group and you want to know how to connect and really be cared for, that's, that's the next step for you for sure. Jesus said about himself in Mark 10, 45, he said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He did not come to be served, but to serve. He's the model ministry. Let me go back to our key text for today, back in what Jesus read out of uh, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You know what's interesting about that? If you look up Isaiah 61, that's the verses 1 and 2. And in in verse 2 of Isaiah 61, after he says, proclaim the the year of the Lord's favor, he says, and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus chose not to say that. It's interesting that he chose to just focus on who he was and what his, his role was in proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. So here's the two questions. Who did Jesus come to serve and then why do we exist as a church? So if you're kind of new with us, this is going to be helpful for you to know the heart of Novation Church and, and why we exist and what our vision is and why God planted us here. And for, for the, those that have been here for a good while, it's going to be a good, good reminder for all of us. So who did he come to serve? First of all, he came to serve the poor. He came to serve the poor. Three kinds of poverty. Let me work through these. There's material poverty. Jesus came for those who were poor, materially speaking. Now, I've been to a third world country. Many of us have been to the Dominican Republic. And we go into the sugarcane villages and you see poverty that makes you cry. You see the, the, the way people live and what they live on. And it's like, wow, this is poor. And I would encourage everybody to, to do that. Take your family uh, on the next Dominican trip that's going to happen hopefully in July, uh, COVID willing or Lord willing. But it, it, take your kids. Let them see how 93% of the world actually lives. Because I'm telling you the truth. It's a fact that the poorest person in this room or watching online is richer than 93% of the world. We don't know how well off we really are, how blessed we truly are. We're rich. Jesus came to serve those that were materially poor and to teach us to be generous and to care for the poor. Second kind of poverty is moral poverty, lacking integrity, 
living a, a double life, um, you know, angry, all these things that come with, with moral poverty. He came to set free those who, who are morally poor. And all of us are in ourselves, and we need Jesus, right? We need his, him and his righteousness. But it made me think about the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector, and he, we know he was short. And we know that he had somehow began to hear about Jesus and what he was doing, because later in Luke we see this story. And he, he's in Jericho, I believe, and he, he, he knows Jesus is there. There's a crowd of people. He climbs a tree so that he can just get a, a glimpse of Jesus and hear what he's saying. And Jesus makes eye contact with him. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm coming to your house for dinner. And Zacchaeus comes down from the tree. He didn't fill out a connection card. He didn't walk the aisle. He didn't pray the sinner's prayer. He didn't do anything. He just came to Jesus and he said, Lord, I'm going to give back all that I've taken and then some. And, and he was showing that his heart had been touched by Jesus. All he said was, come down from that tree. I want to have dinner with you at your house. That's how Jesus works. He made Zacchaeus re realize that he knew who he was. He knew who he was. And Jesus said, salvation's come to this house, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. I love that. He turned a morally poor person into righteousness and peace and joy in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And then there's spiritual poverty. Spiritual poverty is when someone doesn't know the good news about Jesus or understand it. We need to know it and we need to grow in it and begin to, to understand who we are because of Jesus. Most Christians don't realize all that you have or that we have in the person of Jesus. You read Ephesians and the letters of Paul, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Every spiritual blessing has been given to us in Christ. Whatever is Christ's is yours. Think about that. He's shared everything that he has spiritually with us. And, and our lives are learning how to grow into who we are in Christ. That should build your spirit up today. That should make you want to know more about who, what is his is yours. Second group of people that Jesus came to serve was the brokenhearted. And I know this year and the, this last year has brought a lot of brokenhearted, broken hearts. We're the broken hearts club. <laughs> there's been death. There's been divorce. There's been financial loss, health crisis. A lot of people are hurting. Jesus identifies with you. He is close to you. We've been through disappointments. We've been through uh, rejection. It's nothing worse than feeling rejected. Jesus never rejects you. Never will he leave you or forsake you. Resentment is something that keeps our hearts broken when we can't forgive, we can't release somebody that's, that's hurt us or reject us. I got good news for you. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted 
He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. If that's you today, he's close to you. He's closer than you may realize, and I pray that you would recognize his nearness to you. Next group of people Jesus says he came for is the imprisoned, people that were in prison. Literal prison, he came for those who were in literal prison that had committed crimes and were doing the time for that. And it's interesting, if you do a search, you can find it pretty easy. Jesus is on the move in literal prisons in America. I'm reading stories about people coming to Christ and and, and, and finding life and eternal life in Jesus in prison. So he came to set those in prison free. There's other kinds of prisons. People are in the prison of addiction, addicted to drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography, shopping, whatever. People get addicted to something. And addiction happens because we're trying to either numb or deny or run from our pain. Jesus came to set you free. He's the only one that can set us free from addictions. And he'll do it. Give it over to him. People are imprisoned by secrets, living a double life, imprisoned by something that you're ashamed of, so you're imprisoned by guilt. Jesus came to set you free. He brings the freedom. He sets the prisoner free. Then he came, he came for the blind. He says, to open the eyes of the blind. Now, literal blindness, right? Because you, you see in the Gospels, how many times did Jesus heal somebody that was blind? These beautiful stories where Jesus laid hands and he did some weird things sometimes on how he opened people's eyes, you know, like spit on some mud and make some clay and rub it on their eyes and I'd take his saliva. I'd be okay with Jesus. <laughs> but literal blindness was, was delivered from, but there's other blindnesses. Relational blindness. There might be in a relationship, a marriage, a family, a friendship where you're relationally just can't see. You need Jesus to open your eyes in that. There's emotional blindness where we're either emotionally blind to somebody else's emotions, their hurt, their pain. He wants to open our eyes so that we have the emotional intelligence to be able to read somebody, to be able to read what's going on so that we can be helpful and that we can serve like him. And then there's spiritual, spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness is this. When we attribute the good in our lives to ourselves and the bad in our lives to God. Believing that God is not good is living in darkness. Believing that God is not good, better than you even think he is today, is is where, where we go blind in that. God is good. He is good through and through. And he's not out there somewhere disinterested in your life. He created you and has been pursuing you since the day you were born, pursuing to have a deep relationship with you. Our God is a relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, and an eternal relationship. They created us to share that relationship 
with us. That's why you were created, so that God would share that relationship with us. And Jesus said in John 14, 20, that he, you will know on that day, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, that he is in the Father, he is in us, and we are in him. We're in that relationship. That's been a real light bulb moment for me um, over this last year to realize I'm in this, the same relationship Jesus has with the Father. Yeah, the same one. You too. You're in that relationship with him. Jesus came to give us light for our darkness. I love Isaiah 9 verse 2 says that a great light has been shown to those living in darkness. That's a prophecy about Jesus. It's where we get our um, whole Christmas verse about he shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God. It's all about Jesus in that, written 600 years before. Then the last group of people Jesus talked about in this and quoting Isaiah and saying he's the fulfillment of it is the oppressed, those that are oppressed. And if you read the Bible long enough, you'll realize that God does not like people oppressing people. He does not like the rich getting richer at the expense of the poor. He doesn't like the oppression, exploitation of people. You've got political oppression that happens in, in countries all over the world where people are, are truly politically oppressed. Sometimes as Christians, we, we think we're, we're being oppressed because we, Starbucks doesn't say Merry Christmas or something like that. And it's like, give me a break. Like, there are countries where people can't be Christians or you can't say you're a Christian. There's a political control over that. There's cultural oppression. And then there's spiritual oppression. We have a real enemy, and he is at work. And I'm not one of those who's looking for the devil behind every doorknob, because I don't think that's healthy. But there is a healthy awareness that, like Paul says in Ephesians 6, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle with the person that's driving you nuts or what's going on in your life. There's an evil one behind that. Powers and principalities and rulers and dominions that go beyond the creation of the world. Think about that. So um, we have to realize that. And, and the enemy wants to oppress us. He wants to lie to us. He wants to accuse God to us. He wants to accuse you. He wants to, you to accuse your neighbor, <clears throat> your, your whoever. We got to be aware of his schemes. What did Jesus mean by proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor? And he stopped there. He said, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He could have gone on and read the rest of the verse and the day of vengeance of our God, but he stopped there. What is the year of the Lord? Well, it's the year of Jubilee that God instructed in Leviticus 25. He instructed the Jewish people to celebrate the year of Jubilee. How does that work? What is that? It's also called the year of the favor of the Lord. If you work with me here, every seven days, what were the Jews supposed to do? Take a day of rest. Every seven years, they were to give the land a year of rest and not grow crops or anything. Give the land a year of rest. So they had to save up the year before for that next year, their crops and, and storage and stuff. And then every 50 years, because seven times seven is 49, beginning the 50th year, that's that 
good math skills that I have. Um, every 50 years, they were supposed to do the year of Jubilee. What was involved in that? Well, let me tell you. I'm glad you asked. Every debt was canceled. If you had debt in that 50th year, it's gone. I mean, you think that'd be a pretty good thing. Hopefully in year 49, they didn't go buy a bunch of cars and new houses and stuff and more. Um, every prisoner was set free. The prisons were emptied. Slaves were given freedom. And land was returned to its original owner, to the original family. Why'd they do that? A couple things. To remind Israel of the freedom that he had purchased for them and delivering them out of Egypt. He wanted, that was a reminder. Hey, you've been set free. I want you to live, live in that practically. To remind them that their land was his and that their land was actually on loan to them. It's a great reminder to us. Everything we have is on loan from, from God. We're just stewards of what is his. And it economically leveled the playing field again for everybody. Now, it's interesting. When you read, we don't find Israel ever celebrating the year of Jubilee. You don't find it in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah 25, God is rebuking the Israelites for not obeying his commandments. And then they got dispersed in, into Babylon and so forth. Why did these people get so mad at Jesus when he read that he was the fulfillment of the Jubilee? Jesus was announcing that he was... He was the Jubilee. They couldn't believe it. So they wanted to kill him. But Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus, Jesus leveled the playing field spiritually just the way that was a type and shadow of leveling the economic playing field for everybody. He leveled the economic playing field, I mean the spiritual playing field for, for all of us. It didn't matter where, where you came from, what you had done, uh, what you didn't do, blah, 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 we're all in. We all get invited to be in Christ. It's pretty amazing. So let's shift gears and quickly answer the next question. That's who Jesus came to serve. And if we want to have a Jesus model ministry, then we got to answer this question of why do we exist as a church? Why do we exist as a ministry? Why do you exist as a follower of Jesus? Like, what is your purpose? What is your part in all of this? Before I get into that, people came to Jesus for three reasons. People came to Jesus because they had a need. Will you heal my son? Will you heal my daughter? They had a need. Will you heal me of my ailment? Or they had a hurt. They had been hurt by something. Mary Magdalene comes to mind, a prostitute, been broken by life and people and just used. She was hurting. She knew Jesus had the answer to that hurt, the healing to it. Or people came to Jesus with a question. You know, Nicodemus and so forth had questions. What should I do to inherit eternal life, etc.? So a need, a hurt, and a question. I think that is why we exist as a church. Let me dig through this. The first thing that why we exist is to point people to Jesus. 
That's what Novation Church is about. We don't want a little club of people who all believe exactly the same way and have it all figured out, because that doesn't exist anyway. That's not reality. Preach the good news. I want to remind you that Jesus is the good news. And it's a good question to ask yourself, and, and then maybe even write it down. This could be a little homework for you this week. What is the good news? How would you articulate that in a minute or less to somebody? What is the good news? Jesus is the good news. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the fact he's coming again. He is good news. He came, like he said, the spirit of the Lord was on him to preach the good news to the poor. And, and we, that we includes all of us, have been commissioned by Jesus to, to tell everyone about him. We were commissioned by him. Not just the disciples in the early church, we're just doing what they were told to do, and we just keep it going until he comes again. We're in this thing together. Second reason we exist as a church is to be there for the brokenhearted. To be there for the brokenhearted. He came to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus is the healer of broken hearts. And I know we've had our hearts broke. You've had a, life has not dealt us all easy things. But Jesus is the healer. Back when we were dreaming about, you know, taking the plunge of starting Novation Church. I remember talking with Janelle, and I, we were talking about, well, what, what should we name our church? Because we had this vision of knowing that we both had, had been broken by life and found new life and hope and, in Jesus and, and sustaining from Jesus. And we, we just visioned people that could come in and get a fresh start. And come in and, and realize that, hey, we're all broken in this thing together, and we're going to admit it. We're going to admit we don't have all our stuff together. But he does. He, he's, he's the perfect one. We had this vision of seeing people be healed from life, from their broken hearts. So we came up with the name Novation, which means a new beginning. It means, it means a fresh start. A lot of times people say, oh, that's a weird name. Well, it's actually really cool. <laughs> like, it means it's a, it's a business law term where you exchange an old debt for a new debt. We give Jesus our debt of sin. He gives us the debt to love God and love our neighbor as ourself. That's where that comes from. Third reason we exist as a church is, is to grow genuine followers of Jesus. We don't want to just point people to Jesus um, we, 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 that's the starting point, but we want people to grow in their relationship with Jesus, to become like them, to proclaim liberty. What do you mean? How does proclaiming liberty and growing genuine followers of Jesus line up together? Well, Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Liberty, freedom, so the, the more we know his truth, the, the more we know the person of the truth, Jesus, the more liberty we will walk in our life, the more freedom we will walk in spiritually, emotionally, relationally. And so our job as a church is to help each other walk in the truth, walk out the truth and walk in liberty. And then the fourth reason we exist as a church is to be light in a dark world recovery of sight to the blind. Now, love to see God do a miracle and literally open blind eyes, but I think the majority of this is 
the spiritual blindness, the, the moral blindness, the relational blindness. And the awesome part about this, Jesus said about himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in the darkness. So if we follow Jesus, we're not walking in darkness because he's the light of the world. We are now the light of the world because the light of the world dwells within you. You are the light of the world to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your family, to one another in here. We are the light of the world. And we've been, we're, part of our, our mission is to be a light in a dark world. So that means we need to stop being part of arguments and disunity and be people who learn how to, how to walk in unity together and model it in our homes, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our community, striving for that. And then the last, last one is to, to lead people to freedom and purpose in Jesus. People are oppressed spiritually and emotionally because they, they, they lack purpose. They lack the liberty that Jesus provides. And he, we're, we exist to help people find that purpose in Jesus. That's what we're pursuing. That's why we exist as a church. And let me tell you up front, all that I just said, you can find holes all over our church. <laughs> you can find, oh, that looks good on paper, what are we doing about it? Help us, let's solve this thing together. I have a passion right now that we are not, this is not a, one, two, a staff thing. This is a community thing together that we are to pursue these things as a unit together, as a team. We're imperfect following the perfect Savior. Let's never forget that. Billy Graham once said, he said, hey, if, if you find the perfect church, don't go there because you'll ruin it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> how true is that, right? None of us are perfect, and we, I admit it, I am very imperfect, I'm flawed, I'm broken, I'm messy, but he's not, and he's putting me back together just like he's doing to you. So in this church, you can admit that you got stuff. Let's deal with it together. We're not going to judge you, give you the boot. We're going to give you the welcome. We're going to do the hard things together. We're going to do the hard things of life together. We don't want to stay in our, our flaws and our brokenness. We want to be pursuing a life that is, you know, more Christ-like and all of that. But man, let's ad admit who we are. And when we do that, I think we're preparing ourselves for real change, real growth. Church is messy, man. Nothing shocks me anymore. And that's sad. But nothing shocks me anymore. Because I know in this room or somebody watching, you got guilt. You got stuff that you're not proud of. And I want to just announce the good news to you. We have a Savior who he came and he lived a perfect life in our place. He got baptized. You know why Jesus got baptized? Because we're in his baptism. When we do our baptism, we're saying yes to all that he did for us. He came as a, as a human in our fallen, broken world, entered into our stuff to undo it all so that we could learn to walk and become human. We could become like him. So here's my, 
my, my plea to all of us, if you're new with us, would you come and roll your sleeves up with us and get into the, in this thing called church together and be in a light in our community? If you've been around Novation for a good while, let, let all this be a reminder why we exist and why we exist together. And here, here was what I was going to leave us with the challenge was, would you pray? Would you pray this week? Pray for the poor and just go over that list, the three types of poverty. Would you pray for the brokenhearted? You don't have to know everybody who's their name. God knows who they are and he, he's answering prayer. Pray for the imprisoned. Pray for the blind, the spiritually blind. And pray for the oppressed here and throughout the world. Take one of those and just make that your focus. That, that's, there's five day, days in a work week, Monday through Friday. Monday, let's pray for the poor. Tuesday, brokenhearted, imprisoned, so on and so forth. Because God, God's, God's doing something. This post-COVID world is in for a dose of the gospel, in for a dose of the Holy Spirit's presence and freedom. I need it, you need it, we all need it. And I think God is positioning things that when things look bad, he's, that's when he does his best work. That's when he's, he's obviously putting things together. God, in, in his sovereignty, he takes things that are bad and works them for good. Only he can do that. He, he's the only one. If you're going through a difficulty right now, he's going to work it for good, ultimately. Would you stand and let's pray together? If you've never said yes to Jesus, do it today. Don't put it off. And it's not, following Jesus is not rocket science. Or my, as my daughter in the Navy said in boot camp, they said, it's not rocket surgery. <laughs> it, it's not, following Jesus is coming into agreement with him that of who he is, who he says he is, and who he says you are in him. That's, that's faith. Jesus, I agree with you. You don't have to have it all figured out to come into agreement with Jesus. He's got it all figured out. And you give him your brokenness. Give him your mess. And let him work in your situation and in your life. You become his follower. You become his disciple. You learn about what life's about from him. I promise you, man, living... Living, following Jesus changed my life forever. And I know it has caused me to live the best life I can. And he wants that for all of us. That doesn't mean my life's perfect. I'm saying my best life for Scott, for you. Following him causes that to happen in us. He gives us hope, he gives us peace in the storm, he gives us joy. Jesus is a really big deal. And he's what this church is about. At the end of the day, it's Jesus, and we work backwards from there. It's his church. It's his world. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that we are connected to you because of Jesus.
Holy Spirit, thank you for you being the ever-presence of Jesus with us, all of us. We don't need to get you in our lives. You're in it. Help us to recognize your presence. Help us to recognize your work in our life, that you're drawing us into the kind of life you want us to live. So God, I pray for those that are hurting in this room that need to hear the words of Jesus, that he's here to heal the brokenhearted and the oppressed. Lord, may they find that freedom now and continue to walk in it. And I pray for us as a church to to collectively together, participate together as we care for one another and care for our community. God, we would truly shine in the darkness. Keep our minds and hearts fixed on you. Lord, I, I pray for our marriages. I pray for the enemy to not have any foothold into any marriage in this church. I pray for those who are struggling pray for our our students our young people God I pray that you would pour out your strength for them God that they would live lives following you not wasting any part of their life following after popularity or all the other things we're told in this world that will satisfy Lord may they find their satisfaction in you now Raise up a a group of new leaders, Lord, for the church. Thank you for your blessing upon us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the year of Jubilee. You are the favorable year of the Lord. God, I pray for those who are lonely. Lord, may they find friendships and relationships here. And I thank you, Lord, that that there's no pressure on us to be anything other than your disciples. Thank you that you meet us where we're at. We love you. We honor you. In your name, amen.